This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar to... goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I know I'm not entertained. I know you. I love you. Are you I did this in if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today I have joining me, Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. And Michael Schwartz. Shalom. Shalom, shalom, shalom. All right. Quite a bit to talk about this week compared to uh, last week's episode. I want to start it off here with the Cannes Film Festival. Let's dive right into it. We have some early word on a couple of different movies, um, one of which happens to be Todd Haynes' next film, Wonderstruck, which got some really, really enthusiastic um, responses from the crowd over at Cannes. Uh, They're saying Carter Burwell's score is possibly the one to beat this year for the Oscar. Ed Ed Lockman's cinematography is lush and gorgeous as ever. Um, Do we think that it's too early to be talking about Oscar, um, or is this the real deal? You know, the reception that I'm seeing on Twitter is a bit, maybe because of the, the critics that I follow, but I'm seeing a lot more mutedness to this one than something like Carol. Oh. When people saw Carol, it was praise right out the gate, and it was a lot of unanimous praise. This, I, I think one of the sites that I saw that put up a review said, even Todd Haynes when he's okay is still really good. Um, so, so what I'm seeing a lot of is that it's not... A level Todd Haynes, but it's still worth watching. So I think if they couldn't get Carol, which had such a claim to to sweep the Oscars, I don't really think that this is going to do it because from what I'm seeing, at least the expectations are a bit more tempered right now. Well, could this be the makeup film? You know what I mean? In terms of, well, we didn't give you Best Director. We didn't give Best Picture to Carol. Not even, I don't think know. they're going to, no. I don't think they'll rectify anything from that. Mm. That seems to be the reception I've been looking at, too. And I follow a lot of critics who are at Cannes right now, like the IndieWire crew and a lot of uh, the big L.A. and New York writers who tend to go there and report back. And this is a movie that people really like. I've been seeing like a lot of, uh, you know, if you're going to put a grade to it, this is like a A minus B plus type of thing. People really like it, but they're saying that what is really great about it is all technical, like the Ed Lockman cinematography or the Carter Burwell score. The rest of it seems like it's going to be more like an indie art house kids movie, which will do well in certain circles. 
But uh, if we're just going off the can reception, which could change later in the year, which we've seen before, uh, I just look at this as a tech player, honestly, when it comes to awards. But I could be totally off. I'm just going by what we see now. Mm-hmm. Let's also not forget that Sandy Powell is doing the uh, costumes for this film as well. Oh, yeah. She'll be a shoo-in probably. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I- I'm looking at like, think Mr. Turner, which got four tech nominations. I could see it going something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, positive reception that I'm seeing a lot for is um, for the movie from Bong Joon-ho, uh, Akja. Um, they're saying that the CGI big freaking pig is adorable and that we're going to absolutely fall in love with this um, this CGI creature. Uh, Tilda Swinton is, you know as amazing as ever in it. Maybe not Oscar uh, worthy, but she adds a degree of pedigree to the movie. Jake Gyllenhaal is very good. I hear. Yes. Yes. I, um, I actually totally had forgotten that he was even in the movie. They're saying Paul Dano is also really memorable in the film. Like it just seems like it's maybe, maybe not an Oscar contender, um, in the sense of, you know, like, um, like a front runner or anything like that, but it could be an enjoyable movie. Um, I, I saw the trailer for it uh, recently, and I was uh, taken aback by the overall tone of it. I was not expecting it to be as, um, I guess, light is the yeah, word it, I would use. It's a comedy, I've heard. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come out next month on Netflix, so everybody can see it. I know Netflix has been a big talking point of Ken this year. Yeah. That's that's definitely uh, the segue here for sure. Um, Pedro uh, Almodovar uh, kind of came out and sided with the idea that you know these films need to be theatrically shown in France to be eligible, even though films like uh, Akja and um, the other one from uh, Noah Baumbach, the Meyer uh, stories. Yeah, um, which, by the way, um, also got solid, not great, but solid uh, reactions from the Cannes crowd. They're saying it's Adam Sandler's best role in years, too. He could win Best Actor at Cannes with these reviews that it's getting. You think so? Oh, yeah. Like, people are really raving about him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. That would be... I don't think so. You know, I'm going to tell you why. I think all the Netflix films are going to have a stigma against them uh, this year at Cannes possibly be do you think if this were like a sony pictures classic maybe it would do better yes that's interesting yeah the netflix debate is very interesting because you have someone like almodovar and some of these uh, attendees in the audience booing when the netflix logo comes up i don't get that i think netflix yeah there are times where you can't see it in a theater if you live in a smaller city but everybody has access to it, and you have access to these great films that you probably wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Mm. And let's be honest, do a majority of people watch movies in the theater, or do they like to see them at home? I personally like to see them in the theater. Yeah, but I'm saying the majority. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I like to watch in the theater, though, is because I'm less inclined to be distracted. Yeah, I agree with that. That's my situation, too. But when people are sitting at home one night, it could be a Netflix and chill night, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And you're looking at uh, the movies. Somebody just asked me last night, like, you know, Matt, people go to, to the movies to be entertained. You go to the movies because you like to appreciate the art and the craft of um, the, the filmmaking that's involved. And, you know, deep down, I'm saying to myself, well, yes, that's true. But I, I like being entertained as well, you know. Um 
I guess it's like maybe I'm just like an old soul um, in this uh, in this brand new world. Um, I am definitely a little apprehensive towards the changes that are occurring within the industry. But Kristen, where do you weigh in on the Netflix films being a can argument? Um, you know, we all make fun of can for being pretentious and snobby and. This is certainly up there in proving that point. Um, you know, for me, I will watch a movie however I can get it. If it's something I really want to see, I will go out to the theater and see it. Or I will watch it if it's on Netflix. So the landscape is changing. And, you know, you can either go with the times or, you know, be be behind. It's like somebody's still arguing, you know, the nature of vinyl in an MP3 world. There's room for both to coexist. Yeah. It's a good argument. That's a very good comparison. Absolutely. Um, so, Meyerwood Stories, uh, solid Noah Baumbach film. That'll um, be on Netflix probably in the fall. Yep. You know what? I don't think it's going to be Adam Sandler Oscar nomination, even though he might be deserving. But this could be a Golden Globe play. He got nominated for uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that happening for sure. And the thing is, he's a really good actor when he's not doing those stupid comedies. He's tremendous in Funny People. Uh, oh, that yeah. He, oh no, the movie's definitely flawed. But I, I think that that was probably, uh, that was probably his best effort since Rain Over Me. I was gonna say flawed is is an understatement. Oh yeah, no, I I definitely do not like that movie. Believe me. Um, but yes, I can see that there's a lot of art imitating life there with his character in that film, and um, there were some good aspects to his performance, but damn, that movie needed to be trimmed, that movie needed to be that, that movie needed to be a lot of things that it wasn't. <laughs> I saw a can review for the Meyerowitz stories that said it's like a Woody Allen movie you can feel good about liking. Oh, well that's always <laughs> a, a nice thing, I suppose. No, it's like a New York Jewish family uh, New Yorker vibe, I guess. It's a Schwartz film, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Checking off all the boxes, real people, comedy, light, New you know, York. a New York, Jewish, uh, come on, you know, <laughs> all it needs is a musical number and Michael oh will say it's the God. best film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Akja, uh, Meyerowitz Stories, um, we also, uh, like I said, mentioned uh, for a minute, Wonderstruck, but there is one film in particular I think that we're all dying absolutely dying to know about um it's probably the most anticipated film uh that is premiering at Cannes, and it is the beguiled and Kristen lopez what is the word um do you want the word from what i've heard or from someone who's actually seen it with their own eyes because i have both <laughs> i want the truth and nothing but the truth you can't handle the truth <laughs> well, it. De- I mean, I think it really depends. It depends on if you've seen the original film. If you haven't seen the movie from 71 with, with Clint Eastwood in it, then as it stands, I think it's one of those that it's very much a Sofia Coppola movie, and it's not a Sofia Coppola movie. It shows a, a lot of progression as a director for her. Um, I had issues with it because I've seen the original. So most of the problems that I had were were problems that just kind of happened in the remake process. I think coming into this without that knowledge, people might feel it's a little too slight. It's a very, very lean 90 minutes. 
which is usually in her wheelhouse. Um, I just actually rewatched all of her theatrical films this week, and 90 Minutes is, is about on par. It's the same length as um, Virgin Suicides and Bling Ring. Um, so for me, I think it could have stood to be about 15 minutes longer, just because things seem to happen very, very, very quickly, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, Cinematography-wise, I didn't get a score, so I don't know what the um, soundtrack was. And uh, the cast is fantastic. So for me, I I don't see it as a, a big awards contender. I think it might be a little too brisk for most people because I think they're going to leave being like, I wanted more of this. But then that could also be seen as a benefit, especially if you haven't liked, you know, some of her other movies that kind of revel in, in uh, you know, long takes. There are long takes of, you know, the outside, but... Um, I, I think this will please a lot of people. So do you think it's um, an Oscar contender at all in any categories, costumes or anything like costuming, that? Costuming, costuming for sure. Cinematography, if if they're really appreciative, because the cinematography is beautiful in this movie. Yeah, you can tell um, based on the trailer for sure. Yeah, yeah. Costuming, I would I would love to see the costumes because I, I love all of the costuming in Sofia Coppola's movies. Um Excuse and what me. about our friend Nicole Kidman? Nicole, and that the characters I think were the one thing I wanted to see more of. I think had each of the actresses maybe gotten one or two more scenes, it would have been really easy to determine. You know, oh, that's that's an Oscar-winning performance. Nicole Kidman is great. Everybody's great. Nicole Kidman is one of the characters I think has a bit more complexity to her in ways that I don't even think. Sofia Coppola noticed because I, I, when I talked to her, I was bringing up, you know, questions about about Nicole Kidman's character. There's definitely room for her if they were feeling generous, but again, I think it might be a little bit too brief of a performance. I mean, she's in the whole movie, but Sofia Coppola doesn't have a lot of big Academy Award-winning, you know, moments that you could play on uh, a television screen to say like this is what's going to secure her the oscar it's more of a series of of building on emotion and a series of events as opposed to like one big showy moment and i'm i'm fearing that the academy is so used to seeing one big showy moment that they might ignore it yeah um what i'm predicting for this film is i'm predicting um much in the same vein as something like gone girl 87% 87% Rotten Tomatoes, like an 81 on Metacritic, um, respectable box office results, um, and but not something that's going to make like the top 10 of the year. But I, I think it's going to be a hit. I really do. I, I think that people are going to really dig it and the word of mouth will might spread about it because there's not many people that have seen the original, in my opinion. Uh, and as a result of that, I think that, uh, you know, like you said, Kristen, it could possibly play a little bit better. Um, I think it could definitely draw in an audience. And as a result, um, I think it could only snag in the end maybe one Oscar nomination like Gone Girl did. Not for um, any of the actresses, based on what you've said, but maybe for that costume nomination, possibly. That's that's my prediction. For for me, as somebody who loves Sofia Coppola's movies, and I've I've officially seen them all now, all the theatrical ones. I didn't see um, whatever the Netflix one was. It went strictly with the theatrical ones. But um, 
you know, this, uh, this I would say is not nearly as, as resonant as something like Virgin Suicides, which is probably my favorite still of all of her movies. Um, but it's still fantastic. Um, I always worry that it's going to go the way of like Marie Antoinette, which was, you know, drubbed when it came out. And I, I love that movie, but, um, has kind of seen a new life. So, so I'm interested to see how this plays. It's a movie that we really need right now, especially if you're a female, because she has a lot of really great, um, moments that, again, to, to go off of, you know, Douglas Sirk, feel very over the top, but have a lot of, of connection to what we're seeing in our political landscape today in terms of women being fed up. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's easily in my five of the year right now, but the year could change, so. Okay, cool. I'm planning on seeing it again when it comes out, because I want to see it with uh, a score and, you know, titles and all that. And so the next time we record, we're going to have uh, the Cannes Awards, probably. The whole thing's going to be over. Yeah. And this week, we have uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Happy oh, End. So uh, excited to see you that. You were never really here. I'm looking forward to Happy End. Yes. Because Michael Haneke is... Uh, he's a tough filmmaker, but boy, are his films rewarding. And this one sounds like it could be uh, just as devastating as his other films, but maybe in a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if everyone saw the poster, but I was just taken aback by how powerful that image was. Oh, I was taken aback by the poster for The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I thought that was so visually striking. Yeah, that was gorgeous. The long blinds. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that. I'm here for all the Colin Farrell love that's coming out this year. And you know what? <laughs> the rumor mill has it. Uh, this has not been confirmed since it didn't play a Ken yet. But if The Beguiled is in the Nicole Kidman performance this year, I'm hearing that she might have something up her sleeve in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, it's very possible. That could bring her back to the Dolby in February or March this year. So, Speaking of which... Um Big, big news this week, um, and the first time in a while that we got this kind of announcement so early, uh, we have a host for the 90th Academy Awards. Apparently, uh, they really, really liked the producers uh, of the last year's award ceremony and Mr. Jimmy Kimmel himself, and they have all been brought back for the 90th Academy Awards. Um, before the big best picture, um, you know, fiasco i thought that the show was running extremely smoothly i thought that it was funny i thought it was light i was having a great time uh and obviously that moment at the end made it single-handedly the most memorable oscars probably of my lifetime but i think that they really really liked how jimmy kimmel handled the situation in the moment off the cuff um, I think that obviously with uh, Kimmel being in the news recently a little bit with what had happened to uh, his newborn baby, uh, there, there's, you know, there was like kind of a mixture possibly. And so here we are. We're being told that they hope he could be the new Bob Hope and continue to host for many years to come. Um, what do you guys think about that? Um, Kimmel's fine. He's safe. He's relatively non-controversial. I thought his uh oscar hosting gig aside from you know hey look normal people aren't they weird in front of celebrities bit um that was both fun to watch and really like um 
it was fine. It wasn't going to go down as anything particularly interesting. The Globes, I think, are still my favorite uh, show to watch because, you know what, you get that many people and that much alcohol, you have a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, it's fine. I don't, I don't despise it. Would I have liked to see, like, a woman or a non-white guy for many years to come? <laughs> that would have been great, but, you know, we'll, we'll get what we can get. I guess progress comes in, you know, accidentally saying the wrong name at the best picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I gotta admit, I Kimmel's bit with the ordinary people and the celebrities did go on a little long, but I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention how much I love his stabs at Matt Damon and how much I also hope uh, downsizing now flops so that he has a chance to just poke more stabs at Matt Damon's career. <laughs> I, I do think, if anything, some some advice, because I'm assuming Jimmy Kimmel's listening to our podcast, but, um, you know, <laughs> making fun of, uh, you know, names because they're not, you know, John Smith, maybe retire those jokes because, you know, let, let's not make fun of minority people with their weird, you know, names that you consider weird. Yeah. Just throw that out there. You're talking throw about the, out there. the Mahershala Ali. Mahershala reference. Ali, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I liked him a lot last year. I think it was just a smooth show. He was very funny, played to both the room and the audiences at home. And look, we're never going to see a replica of Billy Crystal in the 90s, who, for my money, is the greatest Oscar host there is. Yeah. But I think Jimmy Kimmel is right up there with a Steve Martin or a Whoopi or an Ellen as someone who's reliable, has some great jokes, keeps the night going, and it's just fun. And that's all you could ask for in an Oscar telecast. And we've yeah. seen our share of bad hosts. When you look at Franco Hathaway or, uh, I didn't hate Seth MacFarlane, but he wasn't one of my favorites. You know, uh, Kimmel gets the job done and he does it very nice. Yeah. Um, speaking of James Franco, and also we talked a bit earlier about uh, Adam Sandler possibly uh, being in the conversation this year, The Disaster Artist was picked up by A24. Uh, New Line Cinema is also partnering with them on the release of the film, and it will be getting an awards-friendly release date of December 1st with a wide release on December 8th. Critics that saw it at South by Southwest raved about James Franco's performance saying it's quite possibly the best of his career. Um, this is looking to be in the vein of something like an Ed Wood type of a, you know, movie, obviously. So, um, just in general, um, have, have you two seen, uh, the room? Uh, what do you guys think about this project? How many times can one see the room? I've seen the room three times. <laughs> um, and I laugh at it every single time. Oh, it's amazing. That movie, don't touch me, motherfucker. That movie is um, lovable garbage written by, you know, somebody who obviously hates women, but yet I can't hate him because he dislikes women so stupidly. <laughs> um, I'm fed up with this world. You know, I think we need to have a whole episode where Matt just makes Tommy Wiseau, like, does the whole episode in Wiseau speak, because I think it would be hilarious. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for this. I'm so excited for this movie. Um, I read The Disaster Artist, the book that it's based on, and... It's super fun um, in terms of both making fun of Tommy Wiseau and also trying to really, like, glitz up the guy who um, 
played Mark in the movie being like, I didn't know this guy was crazy. You know, I was totally the voice of reason. So I, I haven't seen the movie, obviously, but I'd, I'd like to see if maybe they go with the whole unreliable narrator. Like maybe this dude was also kind of like an ass. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited. Ed Wood is a, a great movie. Um, as well as a loving tribute to, you know, the way Hollywood films are made. So I'm, I'm all for this. I'm excited for this one. Absolutely. Michael, have you ever seen The Room? I've never seen it as an actual movie, but I've seen, like, the YouTube clips, and I know enough about the key moments of it. Watch the riff tracks a commentary oh, yeah. with it, because I've watched the movie on its own, and I've watched it twice with, with riff tracks, and uh, both in a theater and on t- on DVD, and it is literally the best way to laugh your ass off after you're already laughing about this movie. I mean, me and my friends just love watching the clips every now and then, and just, I mean, oh my god, I still can't believe, like, it exists. And I guess uh, that's how James Franco and his, uh, his buddies all feel, too, you know? Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, um, you know, for example, how great would it be if you at this year's like Oscars have like the real Tommy Wiseau and James Franco playing Tommy Wiseau, like come out on stage to present, you know what I mean? Something like that. That would be a disaster of epic proportions <laughs> because Tommy Wiseau does not know how to walk and breathe at the same time. I'm assuming. So, <laughs> Is this going to be like when Philomena and Captain Philip showed up to the Oscars? No, this would be like worse. <laughs> This would be worse. Ugh. This would be like if Captain Sully showed up, but he had been replaced by an alien. <laughs> It'd be really great if, like, I don't know. What if they had, like, you know, it'd be, like, really cringeworthy if uh, they had him come up on stage to present with, like, Lisa Kudrow or something, just so that he could see the line, you are tearing me apart, Lisa! <laughs> I could see all of them. I could see people thinking about this, and I could see this going horribly, but I would watch every second of that train wreck. <laughs> Okay, um, what else, whatever news did we have this week? Oh, um, uh, Taika Watiti, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, directed uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, will be releasing uh, Thor uh, Ragnarok. He is going to direct a film called Bubbles, which is going to be a stop-motion film about, get ready for this, Michael Jackson's pet chimp. Is there um, really a story that needs to be made about that? So... Let's 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 hear let's hear what uh this was like something that was written uh in regards to it. So you think you've seen it all and then you read Bubbles, which is just so deeply original. Add Dan Harmon and Starborns Industries and you think it couldn't get any better, but it does. Taika joining as director, bringing his warmth, empathy, and humor, and suddenly all the pieces fit perfectly. We are extremely grateful to NQ and CAA for having the vision to put this unique project together. It could be more proud to be partnering with such an ingenious team. Uh, Watiki himself has said, uh, it, it is an idea that fascinates me and one I want to develop further. Most people know I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, so the main thing for me is to make sure it's respectful of him and his legacy. I'm not interested in making a biopic. I want to focus on telling a story that blends fact and fantasy about an animal trying to make sense of the world. This film is not about Michael Jackson because that's not a story for me to tell or a story I would be comfortable telling. It's about a chimpanzee's fascinating journey through the complex jungle of human life. I think animation is the only way to approach a story like this. I really loved Anima Lisa because it was beautiful and authentic in its meditation on loneliness. 
I'm really excited to be working with Dan Harmon and Starburns as we share similar sensibilities and want to tell human stories in unique and artistic ways. So it's my week with Marilyn, only with the monkey and Michael Jackson. Yeah, so like the chimp is going to be the narrator of the film and Michael Jackson will be like an afterthought more so. The question that I have is, I mean, I'm I'm 27. Does anybody younger than me know who the hell Bubbles the Chimp is? I do. Because I guarantee you, but you're you're Michael Short, so <laughs> you exist in a bubble separate from most millennials, in my view. Um, but I, I just I don't think most people younger than than us would really even be like, well, what's the even me? I'm saying, what's the point? You know, I just I don't see the point. Bubbles was always kind of like a media joke against Michael Jackson. Like he traveled with this thing and he spoke sign language to it and it just really showed just how lonely and sad he was. So I don't I don't see how this could be like fun wacky animal adventure also ex- you know exploration of of people, you know, animal loneliness. <laughs> We've seen crazy ideas work before, um, and with animation, you do get a lot more um, liberties than you would with live action. So, I mean, just hearing the explanation and then also hearing him mention Animalisa, uh, which is obviously a very mature animated film, um, I think that that's, uh, you know, you know, you're taking a, a very different spin on it and using uh, animation is, you know, also very unique. Um, it's something that intrigues me because of how offbeat it is. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. So... Uh, we have pretty much gone through the uh, news of the week here. Uh, we've got some fan questions that I want to get to now at this point, and then we will be off to talk about our theme for this week. So in regards to fan questions, let's start it off over here. Uh, this should be interesting. Uh, Matt St. Clair, Film Guy 619 if you could change the Oscar nomination record of someone who has never been nominated... Or who, or who has maybe one or two nominations, who would it be? So I think what he's saying is uh, somebody who has never been nominated, um, who would you want, uh, like, would you want to see them be nominated? Um, or somebody that's only gotten, like, one, maybe two nominations. You just want to see more nominations. So I guess what he's saying is in terms of if you're using the Oscars to rate somebody, who do you think deserves more Oscar nominations for their work? Can I just say give Oscar Isaac all the awards for everything? I mean, he should have a nomination for Inside Lewin Davis. He really should. That was also a really <laughs> tough year. There were a yeah. lot of people who missed out who deserved for that. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix missed out for her. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was tough. Absolutely. Tom Hanks missed for Captain Phillips. Oh, God, don't remind me. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would argue Oscar Isaac is definitely one. 
Um, I, I will I will throw out another another person who I was shocked to find out only was nominated once in their entire career, um, and that person should have at least two wins uh, would be Robert Mitchum. Wow, there we go. Yeah, That's... he's nominated super early in his career as a supporting actor in '46 uh, for the story of GI Joe, and was not nominated again. And he should have won for Night of the Hunter, and he should have won for Cape Fear. So he should have two wins, and he did not. So that's, thanks, that's Academy. Incredible. That Richard Gere needs to be nominated. Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. He's never he's should never have gone won for one. Chicago, but they put him in the wrong category. Yeah. Oh, you mean like if they had put him in supporting? You're right. I agree. I think at the end they put him in supporting where he deserved to be, but he won the Golden Globe for lead which confused everyone. It was like a Hugh Grant, Florence Foster Jenkins type of thing. Just think, John C. Riley got a nomination over him. Very deserving. I think they both should have been in there, but if you're going to pick one, I would have picked Gear. Mm. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name two um, off the top of my head. Uh, Ray Fiennes deserves more nominations than just Schindler's List and The English Patient. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal, who has not received a single nomination since yeah Brokeback he should have more than just one no he got a nomination for Brokeback. back uh, yeah. to throw out to throw out another another classic film star that should have had several wins uh judy garland only nominated yeah. Oh, yeah. uh twice won a juvenile award back just kind of like a consolation prize for wizard of oz but was only nominated twice did not win for a star is born i don't care what you grace kelly motherfuckers say she didn't deserve it <laughs> It should have gone to Judy. Damn, that was that was. Don't furious. at me on Twitter. Wasn't she in the hospital during that Oscar ceremony? Yeah, she had a nervous breakdown. Judy had problems. <laughs> Clearly, um, I would. Oh man, um, character actor, supporting actor, not really a leading man, but God, it kills me that he does not have a single Oscar nomination. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Indifferent. I really just, you know what it is? I like when character actors get that one supporting nomination. Um, it's like when Richard Jenkins got the best actor uh, nomination for The Visitor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, th- that's just a good feeling of somebody being rewarded for their work that has largely gone unnoticed. You know who else should ha- have a nomination by now? Who? Margot Martindale. Oh, yeah, she's good. But she's in TV, man. Yeah, she has a ton of Emmys for doing nothing on The Americans, so... Obviously, somebody <laughs> loves her. Yeah, truly. Uh, that has definitely been a point of contention for sure amongst a lot of people. Um, yeah, no, this is uh, this is good right now. I mean, we're all pretty much just saying, uh, you know, give them more. <laughs> all right, what else do we have here? Um, from, I, I'm going to say this wrong, Pod de Gracio, I, uh, no, Pod de Grassi XO. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, at hello, it's Paw XO. If you could bring back an Oscar category that doesn't exist, which one? Oh, I have one. You know what it is? I would bring back the best original song score. Uh, so you'd have two score categories, one for just plain score and one for the score set to a song? Right, which is what they used to do up until the late 80s or early 90s. Because there were a lot more musicals back then. But now it's just best song. Would you keep best original song and this? Yes, I would. Because song is about the lyrics. Like you would have Lin-Manuel Miranda and uh, some of these other people who are the lyricists. 
but then this is just the score that goes along to his song. Because you know how a lot of times musicals are disqualified for best original score because it's part of the song. So I think the song category is a good way to honor the lyricist. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't we just run into a scenario, though, where um, the same song would win two awards a lot of the time? Well, I mean, you're rewarding two different people, so. Right, but I think this is like, I think you're just inviting for like a sound editing, sound mixing uh, scenario again, where it's like people don't know the difference between the two. And you could say it as many times until you're blue in the face. People just still won't get it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on who the voters are and how seriously they take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's tough. You know, that that is definitely very, very tough. Um, huh, any of your retired categories that I could possibly think of that I would want Nothing to Nothing that back? seems to be, like, applicable to most movies. Today, right? Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I could think of would be, like, the, the to throw back Judy Garland... The Academy Juvenile Award, which is what they would kind of give to, like, best child performer. Uh, they, they gave it out to, you know, Judy Garland, Jackie Cooper, um, a bunch of, you know, Brandon DeWild, uh, Patty Duke was nominated for it. Um, and, you know, we talk about the fact that most young actors, you know, like a Jacob Tremblay, don't win automatically because they're young. Well, this would be a really great way to reward them for that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, for the record, if that award was in existence, uh, are we all in agreement that, like, Daphne Keene would probably win that right now? I'd totally be okay with that. Who's Daphne Keene? From oh, Logan. Oh, my God. Otherwise known as the best movie of one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. I'll have to take your word for it. Uh, otherwise, I, otherwise, my runner-up would be uh, Senia Nanua for Girl with All the Gifts. Oh, yeah, she was good. Yeah. All right, uh, what else do we have here? We uh, have, uh, oh, from Al Robinson, at Al Rob underscore MN. Hey, those are my initials. <laughs> what is your favorite movie comedy per decade, starting with the 1980s? Oh, boy. Oh, God. I like this question. Yeah, this is a, this is a good one. For sure. How do I limit it to just one? <laughs> How do I find out what comedies I liked it? I wasn't born till 88, guys, so. Mm-hmm. Best comedy of the 80s. This will be the toughest one for me to answer. Um, and the rest are all pretty simple. For I me. know two, but that's because they're in my top 10 of all time. All right, well, why don't we start with you then? Okay, well, I, I don't know which one to pick, so I'll just say both Tootsie and When Harry Met Sally. Um, yeah, those are really, really, really good. Ah, man. For me in the 80s, it's either This Is Spinal Tap or When Harry Met Sally. Spinal Tap's great. Did you know on IMDb where you rate that movie, you could rate it up to an 11? That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. How about you, Kristen? Got any uh, for the 80s? God, I'm trying to think of comedy in the 80s. I mean, Spinal Tap would probably be up there. Who Framed Roger Rabbit's one. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be. Hold on, I'm going to my like letterbox to see if I can find. What about Airplane, Kristen? Airplane's funny. It's it's not laugh out loud, though. I find Airplane to get a little boring oh towards the end of the, the film. Um... Arthur. I mean, I've never even seen that movie. Oh. Yeah, I, I have no, uh, 
I'm sure I can think of something, but I guess Spinal Tap would probably be up there just because I can't think of anything else. This is why we need these questions in advance, damn it. All right, well, it's, well, I don't know. Pay attention to my Twitter account. Um, the 90s, there's like so many. Um, but for me, the one that stands above uh, the others. Oh, man. Um, God, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can just pick one. Um, I'll just say one, though, uh, that I don't think you guys will say, but I'll just say it. Uh, oh, God, I got to say two. Screw it. Uh, Big Lebowski and Clerks. Uh, Clerks is funny. I like Lebowski. It's not my pick, but I like it. 80s. I did think, think of one. Thank you, Letterboxd. Uh, Victor Victoria. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love Victor Victoria. That's a phenomenal pick. That is. Yeah, Victor Victoria. Leslie Ann that Warren is, is a hoot in that movie. Leslie Ann Warren, James Garner playing like a hyper-masculine dude. Uh, Julie Andrews. That movie is, is pure joy. wonderful so. movie. Oh, for yeah. uh, sentimental reasons, uh, I got to go also with My Cousin Vinny for the 90s. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. For 90s, uh, I think the obvious one for me here is The Birdcage. Oh, yes. That is a funny, funny movie. Mike oh. Nichols and Elaine May. Who, Elaine May wrote the screenplay. And then they reunited again on another favorite comedy of the 90s just two years afterward in Primary Colors. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Primary Colors. a terrific movie about a version of the Clintons uh, played by John Travolta and Emma Thompson. Boy, is that terrific. Mrs. Doubtfire, too. That's a great 90s comedy. Yes. Definitely a film of its time, for sure. Uh, we, I guess we got to mention Jim Carrey uh, to a certain degree because he was such, such a big star of the 90s. My yeah. favorite of his is Liar, Liar. That's good. What about you, Kristen? Hmm. So many movies from the 90s that I, I think are really, really funny that I probably... If I get any leeway, by the way, with the Jim Carrey comment, um, I would uh, say Truman Show is obviously the best, but I don't know if that's straight-up comedy is a thing. I'm trying to think what came out. I have a lot of movies that just were not popular films in the 90s that I consider to be really funny. Um, oh, like, wait, what about what about Groundhog Day, Kristen? I've never even seen that. <gasps> oh, my God. Yep, it's, um, if, you, if you bother to look at my... 2017 first time film challenges you would have seen that it is prominently featured next time you're in new york kristen you'll go see the musical um <laughs> next time i'm in new york i'm I, i'm already filled up for for that uh that slot so. she's seeing hamilton so Ooh. i'm seeing i'm seeing hamlet that's kind of close <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought you were seeing hamilton i guess I'm no i'm, I'm seeing hamlet i'm seeing hamilton in uh san francisco Oh, Seen Hamlet okay. in New York. Right. Got to fly for that one. Um, so nineties. I, I mean, <laughs> Fargo. There's one. Yeah, Fargo. Not, not really a comedy. A comedy though? Oh, I think it's yeah. an absolute comedy. Not a laugh out loud, haha, but there, that's a comedy. I'm trying to remember what came out in the nineties. These are, I mean, maybe something like um, First Wives Club. I think is really funny. That's um, terrific. Or. Uh, you know, I always say I was a fan of like the weird comedies, like Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. That movie's hilarious to me. Um, so I would probably throw that out there. Yeah. All right, two thousands. Uh, this is where we started getting the more modern comedy that we uh, get a lot of today with uh, people like Seth Rogen, Vince Vaughn, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, people that are still mainstays of today. Uh, for me, though, um, 
I uh, the ones that kind of defined the 2000s for me as like probably like the most memorable and like up there. Um, Pineapple Express and Tropic Thunder made me laugh harder than any movies in recent memory. Same thing with uh, Superbad. You know, it's really funny you say that because they both came out summer 2008. Yeah. And the two I was thinking of also came out in summer 2008. So it's funny that a lot of the comedies that we think of from that decade came out that year. Agreed. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall was that year as well. Mm-hmm. Same thing with um, uh, Step Brothers, too, I think. Yeah, that it's, was it's oh, crazy. Wait, the two I was thinking of were uh, Burn After Reading oh, and Brace yes. Yourselves, Everyone, Burn After Reading, and Mamma Mia. I'm done. <laughs> done. I'm, I'm Which we're getting a sequel to. I don't care. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the two best comedies of the 2000s, though, um, I would argue... Um, and I know I might get a little hate for this, but I think it's The Hangover. I really do. I genuinely do. Mm. Um, and I also uh, want to throw uh, Borat out there as well. Yes, Borat is amazing. And Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen should have been Oscar nominated for that. Agreed. In lead actor. He actually was nominated for screenplay. For, for me, the 2000s, so we're going up to 2010. So I yeah. would say Mean Girls. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a great one. Mean Girls is hilarious. So funny. That movie ages. And there's a musical coming out. Mean Girls the musical. Why? Why? Tina Fey is writing it. That means nothing. It doesn't need to be a musical. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Any others? Um, None that I can think of right now. All right, 2010s. Uh, they're not over yet, but we've got, you know, six and a half years underneath our belts. Um... Any from this decade so far that really stand out to you? Uh, Michael, I have a feeling you're going to say Silver Linings Playbook. Ew. Uh. Yes, that is one of them. That's, that's probably my favorite. But I also love all the collaborations <laughs> of Melissa McCarthy and Paul Feig. Yeah, they've definitely been a dominant force these past couple of years. Uh, yeah. Bridesmaids is uh, one that definitely comes to my mind. Bridesmaids, sure. The Heat, Spy. Yeah. Uh, Spy elements is of great. Ghostbusters, not as much there, but... Uh, I think Silver Linings is my favorite of the decade. Um, I will... It, it came out in 2010, um, but it's a very underrated film. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think, uh, is just I absolutely batshit insane. Pilgrim. <laughs> I know I'm in the minority of that, but... Yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, you're in the minority for a lot of things. <laughs> He's a clever guy, though, Edgar Wright. I'm looking forward to Baby Driver. Oh, how about the movies that made me do a 180 on Channing Tatum, 21 and 22 Jump Street? Funny. Twenty, Yeah, 21 Jump Street is really funny. That movie is, is super. I still haven't gotten over the line that he has in 22 Jump Street where he goes, we've got Cape Blanchett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, though, uh, probably the best one of the 2010s, and maybe there is a little biasness here. Um, I, I can't fault The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a tragic comedy. That movie is that movie's a classic already. It's so quotable, and people, even though it's three hours, I know people that casual moviegoers, they, that's like their favorite movie, you know, and they'll watch it if it's on. I like when Robert Reiner goes, sides, how many sides did you order? <laughs> <laughs> what, they cure cancer? Yeah. The sides did cure cancer. That's, that, that's what made him so expensive. <laughs> I, I like that really dark scene in the beginning when uh, 
Donnie's talking about his cousin or something. Uh, I forget the exact. Oh topic. yeah, yeah. And it's just going on. It's this dark, twisted story, and he like oh. sticks with it. He's like, uh, you know, if the baby was born retired, we'd just be like, you're free, you're free, you can go now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's oh, amazing in that. Oh man. Okay, last question this week. Oh, do I do you want me to throw out mine? Oh, I, th- I didn't know you had oh, one. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was going to throw out two because um, I could actually – I actually had two. Um, but nobody else saw it but me when it came out. But um, Joe Carnahan's stretch from a couple years ago, that was really, really I funny. I did not see that. It's so funny. Chris Pine is hilarious in that movie. Um, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. Um, pretty much came and went under the radar when it came out. Um, and Man From U.N.C.L.E. I think Man From U.N.C.L.E. is hilarious. Do not judge me. I am. <laughs> I like the costumes. That movie's hilarious. It's so homoerotic and fun. Come on. It's the top gun of the new uh, the new It decade. is. Oh my god, it is the top gun of this decade. Uh, all right. Question here from Mike D at Yohimbo Daring. Uh, <laughs> is there any hope for stunts to become a legit category cuz that shit needs to happen? If it was if it was gonna happen, it would have happened ten years ago. Now that everything's CGI, there's no reason to do it. I think that stunt ensemble is the best you're gonna get at the SAG Awards. No Oscar uh, category. I second that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It, it it is because you know that's a whole part of the industry that is very very big, and it, in a way, it is kind of like um, a means to reward the quote unquote action films of the year uh, with something. Um, but you know what? We got the sound awards. We have the visual effects awards. So yeah, I don't see, I don't see it ever happening. So no, no hope. (laughs) All right. Moving into our discussion for the week. Uh, this is a free flowing discussion. We could talk about anything we want here with the release of pirates of the Caribbean, dead men tell no tales. I thought this would be a really good opportunity for us to talk about adventure in films. The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise is known for its swashbuckling high entertainment adventure, um, something that we go on with a quest with our characters as they, you know, chart these uncharted waters and do all this, you know, crazy stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they think about adventure films, I think the first thing that comes to mind for most people is possibly Indiana Jones. Um, I think that's kind of like the... You know, you ask mo- most people, they'll probably say that's like the benchmark as far as um, escapism uh, and really just having an adventure on screen. But I'd like to throw uh, some other uh, titles out there as well, just to kind of get the conversation going here. Um, something like Jurassic Park. Um, and also, too, uh, I would also argue something along the lines of, say, you know, I, I don't really like these movies, but National Treasure. The Nicolas Cage movies. So are we limiting these to a specific time period? No. Okay. Because none of mine will probably be modern. <laughs> and that's fine. You know, I mean, when you think of when you think of this though, ad- adventure films for me personally, um, they are the films that are hardest to talk about. And the reason for it is because there doesn't usually tend to be a lot of depth to these films. It's just more of the full 100% side of the entertainment spectrum. Um, I'm going to see this movie to be entertained. I'm not going to this movie to talk about it later with somebody in an in-depth analysis, write a huge paper on it, whatever the case may be. 
I'm merely watching this movie to be entertained. Does it achieve its job? Yes or no. And here's the problem with these kinds of films is that what makes them good or bad is just that. There's really no other avenues to explore. Did it entertain you or did it not? If it didn't, guess what? The movie's not probably going to be rated highly. And as a result, we see a lot of these films come out and they don't tend to do well a lot of the time uh, because you know the, the, the pieces that they have to fulfill are so few. Uh, I would say, for most uh, movie-going audiences. But uh, think of it through that lens for a minute. Are there any, quote-unquote, like, adventure-type films? Um, You know, hell, I I just thought of Up because of the... That's what I was going to say. Up is probably my favorite adventure movie. Yeah, the phrase, adventure is out there. (laughs) That uh, You know what else came out recently and isn't your typical adventure movie, but it could still fit in that definition? The Grand Budapest Hotel. How, all right, how so? Because you have, it might not be like a jungle adventure or like this action adventure. I mean, there is action in it, and it's a chase movie in some ways. These people are on the run, and they're going back. But is he going on an adventure? You know, it just seems like the whole movie takes place at it the hotel. It might not be an intentional adventure, but they end up on one regardless. I mean, you can make the argument that, that anybody in any film, any protagonist goes on an adventure. Um, and how, you know... Uh, is that limited to how much ground they cover? Is that limited to the scope? Uh, you know, I think I think I think if you you know argue for Grand Budapest Hotel, the definition gets very, very um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like vague. I was gonna say my definition of an adventure film is a bit more cut and dried than both of yours. Um, for me, an adventure film is usually a character who travels. has to travel to this kind of unexplored, uncharted locale on some type of unique conveyance. Um, So for me, I always think of adventure films as something like the original King Kong. The original, not the remakes. Uh, Something like Captain Blood um, with Errol Flynn. Uh, Sullivan's Travels. Oh, Sullivan's Travels is so good. Yeah, or uh, Five Came Back. Stuff like that, where you have, you know, characters in unfamiliar surroundings trying to navigate and figure out what's going on. Um, I mean, hell, even most people, I think, would even go deeper and say that, you know, an adventure film to them is, you know, Jungle or Swashbuckler or something like that. But those... Those are kind of the the adventure films, and that's kind of been co-opted by like the road trip movie, um, which kind of gets thrown in there um, to to throw out some newer adventure movies that I love, regardless of quality. The Chipmunk Adventure from 1987, guys. Okay, <laughs> that movie is pure awesomeness. Um, or The Rescuers. I um, love The Rescuers. <laughs> I prefer The Rescuers as opposed to The Rescuers Down Under. Um, <gasps> No. Yeah. No, The Rescuers Down Under, I rewatched that as an adult, and I was like, oh, this movie sucks. Um, so wait, or- Christian, Christian, by that definition that you gave them, um, would like unexplored space be a part of that? No. See, because then I think you're getting a little too into the sci-fi category. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. Because then I was going to say, well, Star Wars is an adventure film. And- Other questionable adventure movies, Anaconda. Anaconda is a really fun one. That's uh, very questionable indeed. <laughs> what about Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo 
Nemo, I think, would work. Finding Nemo definitely works, I, I yeah. think. They're traveling, you know, through the ocean, places they've never explored before, meeting new people along the way. In the the EAC for. they do use as a mode of transportation. I mean, yeah, I think it works. That's great. Oh, Romancing the Stone. That's, yeah, that's kind of like, I think, the de facto adventure film. Um, What about Kubo and the Two Strings? Yeah. I don't remember that movie well enough to make a determination. <laughs> I didn't love it, but it's definitely an adventure movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess the question is, after naming some of these films here, um, how does one feel about this genre? I think it's gotten a bit dampened with the all the different sub-genres. Again, it's why it kind of gets, the adventure film kind of gets co-opted by the road trip film. Or the action film. You could argue that many action films are action-adventure films. Well, where does the adventure begin and the action end? Um, You know, and and sci-fi. I don't think you get straight adventure movies like you used to in the 30s and the 40s and even into the 50s. Um, Which is why the first Pirates film worked so well back in 2003. Because it was an old-school Errol Flynn-esque adventure movie that people had not seen in decades. So... You know, I I think nowadays the adventure film is kind of a dead genre. (laughs) Uh, Michael, do you think that there is any hope after the past uh, Pirates of the Caribbean films being disappointments? Do you think there is any hope for this franchise to be uh, resurrected with a critically acclaimed film? I absolutely do, because I've heard from people who have seen this movie that it's easily the best since the first. Some people said it's even better than the first. Which surprised me, because I thought we were totally done with this. So if people are really raving this and go out to see it, there could be life here if they choose to go a different direction with it. Yeah. I don't know how much longer Johnny Depp can continue to play this role, though, is the thing for me. Hey, he needs the money at this point. I will be the judge of all Pirates of the Caribbean goodness, considering that I saw the first film in theaters 16 times. 16 times? 16 times, 16 times, to the point that I can, I still, if, if you turn that movie on, I can quote the first half an hour of verbatim. It's, 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 uh, it's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales does come out this weekend. Uh, we will have a review of that here on the site. I will be seeing it tomorrow. Same here. I'm, um, I'm scared. I might see this one. I've seen all of them, and I'm, look, it's a fine franchise. It's not my favorite type of thing, but this could be fun. Gore Verbinski's not directing, so we shouldn't have the same problems that we (laughs) had with the last. I don't know. He didn't direct the fourth one, and I did not like that movie at all. Yeah, my buddy Rob Marshall did that, the musical guy, and even that just felt a little The fourth one's not good. The the first first one's perfect to me in many ways. Uh, Second one was, eh. Third one, I don't remember. And the fourth one, I was just like, nope, we're done. I'm I'm very similar. Um, I actually sometimes wonder to myself if i like the second one more than the first but the second one obviously ends on a cliffhanger um so that does knock it down a peg um third one is just a mess and they mm-hmm. tried to do way too much in a almost three it's hour a movie. movie is what you're saying yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> and the fourth one is absolutely terrible so. and then and then do we just throw in the the lone ranger is the unofficial like spinoff because it's essentially a pirates movie just on land Yes. It's the same goddamn plot, you guys. With Army Hammer. 
don't judge why I own this movie, okay? <laughs> I, I, I continue to do so. I forever will do so. And mm, you have no choice you keep in me around. <laughs> Kristen, here's an idea. When Johnny Depp retires and they keep the franchise going, what if they bring uh, Army Hammer into that universe <laughs> with Oscar Isaac as Jack Sparrow? And then I would die because it would literally be like two of my favorite things in one movie and my heart would explode in my chest and my head would cave in. <laughs> well, before all of that violence occurs, Chris, why don't you tell them where they can find you on the internet? You can give me great movie ideas that will make me all kinds of nervous on Twitter at journeys underscore film. How about you, Michael? As always, at Mike Movie on Twitter. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 39 of the Next Best Picture podcast, where you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we will see you all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.